Thanks, Abby. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I was involved uh, in a little sort of bump in my car. Uh, don't worry, that sort of makes it sound much worse than it is. But it was in the midst of all of that snow and sort of ice. And I thought to myself at the time, do you know, I've moved to Scotland and at some point I'm probably just going to have to get used to some element of sort of driving in these sort of conditions. Um, and it was all going so well. I was doing such a good job um, right until I wasn't. And that's the thing with control in my life. I think that I'm doing a great job right until the moment that I'm not. And so I get to a roundabout, um, just coming off the Kingsway, and I can practically see the house from where I am. I go to pull up, and the brakes just don't work. And so I just sort of skid ahead, sort of very slowly. Uh, and it's one of those moments where, you know, if you've ever been involved in anything like that, time goes really slowly as you just sort of really slowly watch yourself inevitably uh, just go into the back of this other car. Now, if you would have watched that from one of the other cars to the site, you wouldn't have realised I was not in control because I only went straight on anyway. It was very low speed. You would have thought I was in control. I had hold of the wheel. You'd have thought I was in control until it was clear that I really wasn't. And how many of you know that in your own life, it looks like you're in control until you're not. And it, you feel as though you're doing a good job of keeping control until you realize you're not. Well, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. And that's really the one thing I want to sort of speak about just from these verses here. Look at those first few verses there, 15 to 20. We see Christ supreme and Christ sufficient. We see Christ supreme in creation. He's the image of God, firstly. He's the image of the invisible God. The God that was previously invisible could not be made clear because substance, material, matter doesn't do him justice to explain how great he is. Is now made visible in Jesus. I've shared with uh, it with you before but that really in some ways quite amazing and an inspired statement of uh, a former church father Anselm of Canterbury saying God is that which no greater than can be conceived of in in one sense a wonderful statement of God this is whatever is the greatest thing you can think of he's better than he's that good and yet incredibly dissatisfying because it really tells us nothing of God does it to simply leave it at well God is whatever the greatest thing you can think of that bit better doesn't tell us very much but here the invisible is made visible in Jesus that God who is so great he can't be contained and constrained by matter by atoms and particles to try and imagine him because he's beyond that now it's seen perfectly in Jesus that's how great he is, the firstborn of all creation, the one who's standing to inherit uh, and reign over all things from his father. So firstly, we see that sort of uh, his supremacy in, in him being the image of God. But secondly, he's a creator God. Look at verse 16 with me there. By him, all things were created. And then we have in some ways what, what might be sort of put in brackets. But the things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, by the thrones, dominions or rulers or authorities. And now it comes back to that central point in the beginning there. All things were created through him and for him. Three amazing statements that by him things are created, through him they're created and for him they're created. In every realm, both those things that you see and those that you don't. There's nothing above him. There's nothing that he hasn't created that doesn't bear his 
stamp upon it. He's an agent of creation. That is, he has created all things. He's the source of that creation. That is, they're made through him. But he's also the goal of creation, that all things are made for him and to look to him for his glory. And thirdly, we see his supremacy in that he's a sustainer. Verse 17, he is before or there's a head of all things. He's before and ahead of all things, but we also all look to him. Verse 17, in him all things hold together, or all things are composed or stand together. He composes this sort of great symphony that is creation, whose refrain is, is constantly to bring glory to himself. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that the, uh, the invisible attributes of God are made known through the creation. And the image here we get is... Um, if you've ever seen those programs, one of the things I like watching sometimes in my spare time is uh, programs on great albums. And one of the interesting things, you know, you see one of these sort of engineers in the studio who have put all the different instrumentation and voices and everything together. And they have this huge sort of, you know, control panel of buttons and you see them just sliding things in and out. And it's that amazing ability to know what should go where and when and how much of everything. It's a real art, isn't it? To be able to know how to put all of these different things together to make it sound just right. And here is that image of Jesus like this, that he's this great composer of all of creation. We see him supreme over creation. The secondly, we see him sufficient in salvation here. And we see some of these verses pairing up. 18 will pair with 15 and 15 with 19 and 20 with 16 here. He's sufficient uh, over his church here, verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church, just as he's the firstborn of all things and over all creation. We see that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Not only does he image God, but actually all of the fullness of God is seen in Jesus. And then we see something of his purposes. We see that he's reconciling all things here, verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things restoring all things from the sort of brokenness and dysfunction brought about by sin. And we see that happening in a cosmic realm here in verse 16, that all things, everything, not just ourselves, not just humanity, but the whole creation. One of the things Aileen was speaking about, wasn't it, was that right concern for the sort of reconciliation and restoration of the earth. And of course, that's actually absolutely crucial to Jesus's salvation that he'll bring, is that it's not just about Humanity is about the whole created order being restored and renewed and recreated. And we, in part, have that responsibility now to be doing his work now before he comes and, and does that in full. We also see that he's making peace here. He's making peace by the blood of the cross. That sin had set a good creation into a chaos from the sort of shalom, peace and harmony and rhythm that it was once in. But now through the cross of Christ, the whole cosmos will be restored to peace, to order, to the harmony that it was once created in. So what? You might be thinking quite rightly, perhaps, well, you know, what does this really mean for, you know, everyday life this 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 feels like a lot of kind of theory which which might be amazing but what does this mean to me actually for daily life well god is great and you are not you can't save yourself you can't sanctify yourself that is you can't make yourself more like 
God by simply careful control or tight behavioral management. But God does save you through his work. It means that we ought to avoid three P's. Every now and again, I can do this sort of classic preacher thing of getting things to have the same letter at the start. Not very often, though, unfortunately, somewhat lacking in my skills. But firstly, it's to avoid perfection. Salvation isn't dependent upon your perfect performance. God is great. You're not. It's dependent on the perfect righteousness of Christ, which he's given. Secondly, it's not about projection. That is, you don't have to fake it until you make it, which inevitably ends up with you either burning out or blowing up. Keeping up this sort of false projection of being together, of having everything sorted. And also it's about rejecting this sort of protection, this sort of way of, well, I think I'll be able to help myself get there to the end if I can just carefully and tightly protect myself from any danger, any risk, any discomfort. No, God is great. You're not. The Christian life isn't to be a struggle and a strain in your own energy, but a submitting to the work of God within you. God is great and you're not. He can actually save you from all sin, from all brokenness, from all emptiness. There's nothing beyond him. He's completely all sufficient. God is great and you're not. He has the whole universe in his hands. So he's more than capable of holding your life together too. He's all supreme. So now three quick sort of things that I think we can take from this. Secondly, uh, second point here, because God is great, he overcomes your alienation. And if you look to verses 21 and 23, We'll quickly see that there. You who were once alienated, the word is excluded, a bit like the pupil who uh, is sort of sent out of the classroom. You who were once alienated, who were once hostile in mind, that is, uh, the word there is, is resolved to do harm. And you know, perhaps if you work with children or if you have children or just in a family, or actually, it's just as true with adults, probably sometimes, isn't it? You can pinpoint the moment sometimes uh, when someone has resolved to do something. I mean, I can see this with the boys. You can pinpoint the moment in the eyes that you know they're about to lash out. And you try to sort of separate them before it can happen. Resolved to do harm. And thirdly, doing evil things. And the, the weather is literally pain-ridden things. Things that cause you pain and that inflict pain on others there's three things there that mark our alienation are being sort of cut off from God here and yet verse 22 he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death us very people doing all those things and now look we get three positive things we have three negative things there being alienated being sort of cut off excluded being hostile in mind being set to do some harm and doing evil there's doing things that cause pain and come from pain but now we get three positive things here look at the purpose for which he reconciles us to himself verse 22 to present you holy as set apart for god blameless that is totally spotless and above reproach that is not convictable three pictures 
of the good purposes of God in our lives. Firstly, to be holy, to be set apart for God. The, the, the word holy in scripture is uh, literally to be set apart for good use. And the best image of it I can think of is, you know, if your parents or your grandparents perhaps ever had, you know, the best china or the best cutlery set. Uh, in our house, we had that actually didn't look that different from the regular set but it was just a little bit sort of shinier uh, and neater. And that was a set that really never got used, you know, unless somebody, you know, really important was coming over. You could set apart for good use. Secondly, there's that thing of being blameless, of being spotless. And the idea is, uh, you know, if you're ever on eBay, you'll, you'll hear this sort of uh, gross misuse of the phrase mint condition. <laughs> and, you know, whenever someone uses that, you might actually want to check whether that's really the case. But the idea is completely spotless. This is, you know, perfect, immaculate condition. Doesn't look like it's ever been used. And then thirdly, non-convictable. Someone who in court could not be found guilty. And then look at the condition here upon all this, verse 23. If indeed you continue or persist in the faith, stable, that is uh, the, the word is like of a foundation, a building, stable and steadfast, unmoving, unswayed, solid, how do I persist, though? Thirdly, we get here the fuel for that in verse 23, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Constantly gospeling our heart uh, keeps us rooted, helps us to persevere. God is great. And you and I are not. As far away as you may be, if you're not following him yet, or as far away as you maybe once were, if you are following him, and as bad as you sin may be, you can't outdo his amazing grace toward you. Because he's great, he overcomes your alienation. Secondly here, because he's great, you can rejoice in your sufferings. Verse 24 here, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Why for their sake? That uh, might seem like a strange thing to say. Well, he's showing them that God is greater. We don't follow Jesus in order to secure things, whether that be health or finances or success or security. When we lose things, which inevitably is the experience of suffering, isn't it? We either lose health or finances or success or security or relationships. That's the pain of suffering, isn't it? That we're losing something. We sometimes can feel as though life is out of control. We can feel like when we do have those things, that we don't lose those things. We do have health or finances or success or security or fill in the blank, whatever it is, that life is in control. And yet in both cases, God is great and he's in control. When we rejoice through suffering, when we even are losing perhaps some of those things, we show that Jesus is better than the things we may be losing in those moments and so for their sake he rejoices in his sufferings why he continues the thought here verse 24 i'm filling up what's lacking in christ's afflictions well what is lacking that's a strange statement isn't it to say about jesus it's not that he's actually in in and of himself in his substance lacking anything but it's simply that he's not here in front of us isn't it that sometimes you need to see that reality of, of actually losing everything that you might be tempted to say is good and everything that you might be tempted to say is great and 
pin your life's hopes on and yet still trusting in his father that's what we see in jesus isn't it and so is your suffering something that makes you question god's greatness his control or is it perhaps a way that you find that you can witness to god being greater than anything you may have lost god is great and you're not he's put you where he's put you He's given this to Paul. He says here, verse 25, that this is the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And that in this, he's making, he's seeking to make the word of God fully known. There's the clarity of Paul's call here to make the word of God known, that everything is a gospel issue for him here. Everything really comes back to the message of who God is and what he's done. A message that's uh, previously been a mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Not hidden as, as in absent, in the Old Testament sort of era, but that the details of how God would save his people have progressively been revealed. And now it's all here in Jesus. That's really good. And so God is great. He's in control, even of our suffering. And lastly, we can see that he that's within us is greater than the obstacles outside of us in verses 27 to 30. Verse 27 here, to them God chose to make known how great are his riches of his glory in this mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How do we go, see God display his greatness? Is it through great miracles, through a great show of power? Actually here, no, it's through Christ's presence within you. God is great and you're not. The hope for your perseverance your growth in the faith isn't control over your development it's not your ability to self-discipline or your ability to keep up uh, fastidiously your bible reading plan or your prayers the real hope for your perseverance is god working within you and being present with you him we proclaim here verse 28 paul says warning everyone and teaching everyone there's this constant process of correction and realignment that's going on here why why does Paul do that what's the aim what's the end to which this is all going for the Colossians here and for us well verse 28 that we may present everyone mature in Christ the goal is your discipleship and yet why is it that we so often struggle to let go of control well one reason is that sometimes we have a different end goal to that of God don't we if we were to be honest we sometimes know that we're not in control and feel that God isn't in control because we're not reaching our goal but if we could resolve ourselves to God's goal we might find it somewhat easier to accept his control isn't it sometimes and we wouldn't want to say it like this would we but we sort of think that we know better than him what we really need and so we stop listening to God we imagine he's not speaking because he's not saying what we want the goal here is our discipleship and how does this happen verse 29 here for this I toil and has become weary this is where I expend myself and invest my energy struggling with all his energy it tells us and whilst it calls for me to work it 
out, I do so through the power of God. God is great and I'm not. So it's good news that I'm not in control. Instead, I can trust and submit to his power working within me. As we come to close, there's a great quote uh, I came across this week from uh, Don Carson, New Testament scholar, who says, uh, manages to say so much in just a few short words. It says, a little gospel is a dangerous thing. And his point is that for many people, they might begin a process of beginning to hear the good news of Jesus. And that might take even some root, perhaps, in your life. But in some ways, it can be a dangerous thing to have a little bit, but not all of it. You can almost find yourself in a more dangerous sort of position, a position of accepting to some extent, you know, God's gracious forgiveness and, uh, and, and restoration over you. But perhaps not so much of a clear idea of what his purposes are in forgiving you and calling you to himself. A little gospel is a dangerous thing. In fact, we need a lot of gospel very, very often. And when we're tempted to wind up trying to take control, we need the gospel again to tell us that the best news in the world is that we are not in control but a good and a gracious and all sufficient and supreme loving God is in control and has our best interests at heart at all times. And that all things, even things that actually in and of themselves are very challenging and very difficult, can work together for good for those who love him. It's not that all things are good. There are some eminently just bad things, but that God in his grace works together even bad things to our good. And that's some of what you've heard from our brothers and sisters this morning, isn't it? God is great. So we don't have to be in control because he is. When we struggle to let go of control, we need to gospel our hearts again, don't we? We need to realign them with the truth. We think we're in control of life until we realize that we're really not in control at all. But God is. We think we're doing a good job of being in control right up until we realise we're not doing a good job. But God does do a good job. Let me pray for us and um, uh, apologies to people who prepared that last song. I think just for sake of time, we'll, we will not do that this morning because I don't want to sort of keep you for, for too long. But uh, we'll pray and, and a couple of verses of scripture to end on in a moment and then uh, we'll leave you get to um, the rest of your day. Father God I thank you for your goodness and your grace towards us. I thank you Lord that you are in control, you are great. Sometimes it's really easy to lose sight of just how big you are and how glorious you are and how great you are. It, it's easy to become uh, distracted by other things to imagine that other circumstances and, and things around us are, are much greater than they really are. And Lord, sometimes we can be tempted to, to feel as though may, maybe we, we might do a better job of controlling our lives or, or to be willing to give you 95% of our life, but just be tempted to hold back certain bits. <laughs> we think, well, yeah, I can give you almost everything but that thing I just feel as though I need to 
still keep control of. Father, I thank you for how good and how glorious you are. Jesus, I thank you for how we see that in, in you in, in these verses this morning, for your supremacy, your sufficiency for us. Help us, Lord, to know and to trust that. We thank you, Lord, that the good news is we, we don't have to burn ourselves out or blow ourselves up in constantly trying to control and order and manage our lives, a really stressful and draining uh, kind of a task that we're just not able to keep up with. Well, we thank you that the good news is that actually uh, you have all things in hand. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to trust your nature and your purposes and your promises that you work all things together for the good of those who love you. And Lord, I pray maybe for those who don't know you yet in that way and haven't yet come to a place of giving their lives to you to order like that. Lord, I pray that you might uh, lead them to do that, that they might, as we were thinking about last week, taste and see that the Lord is good. That they might be willing to taste and see the the good life that it is to be your children. Holy Spirit, I pray that you might impress these truths upon our hearts, that we might remember them, that we might call them to our minds in our daily life. Can we all know the reality that in daily life it's so easy to forget? We need so many reminders. So help us, Lord, I pray to keep these things close to mind, close to our hearts for your good purposes. We ask it. Amen. Just before we uh, bring our time together to a close, let me just read these couple of verses here from uh, Ephesians. I found that there, sorry. It's a prayer from Paul, and uh, pray these words uh, for you too. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened you may know what is the hope to which he's called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places it's been great to have you with us. Uh, it's been great to um, to hear uh, from several people of actually what they've experienced 